Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. from today's sponsor. Hey everybody, Mr. Dave here. I want to tell you all about... Oh, Mr. Dave! Mr. Dave! Hey Arnold, what can I do for you? I was just about to tell everybody all about the show. That's why I'm here. I thought of a wonderful way to do the commercial. Oh yeah? What's that? In song. It's educational. It's sensational. It's our puppet invitational. To join us each week for some fun. Sit back and relax. Grab some popcorn or some snacks. And get ready for the show. Sing along and get to know the sensation across the nation. It's a music-filled vacation. All your senses will be whirring and your brain cells will be stirring. It's the show you want to say. It's fun time with Mr. Day. That was a great idea, Arnold. You can find Fun Time with Mr. Dave on Facebook and Instagram at Dave the Entertainer and on YouTube by searching Mr. Dave with an exclamation mark. See you next time. Welcome to Tabletop Journeys, everybody. We are going to be continuing our series of subclass rankings for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. Tonight, we have got our fourth in the series, I think, if my, if my counting is correct. This is number four. Uh, and it is our second, which was fan-sourced, Thank you, everybody, so much for voting. Uh, it's a lot of fun to go ahead and throw those out there and to see what everybody thinks uh, we want to do. I was I was surprised that this one was so popular. We I, I totally figured that Cleric was going to win, uh, but it was pretty clear early in the voting that Fighter was going to win by a by a mile um and so thank you everybody for voting that was fantastic um i will say i know that on the facebook group in particular there was a lot of call for us to do warlock and so uh on the next survey warlock is going to be one of the options and so keep that in mind but and make sure you vote absolutely everybody just get in on these uh, on these polls uh steer the directions i mean we are a ship that has a rudder and currently the three of us are at the till uh, by all means, get in and take over. Without further ado, let's dive in. Uh, and everybody listening, you're going to find that tonight's episode is going to be a little bit less contentious than Sorcerer was. We seem to be in more agreement for the fighter subclasses than we were for Sorcerer. No guarantees that this isn't going to come to blows. I think I'm, I'm glad that they're like six hours away from me because otherwise, who knows what could happen here. But let's go ahead and dive in. So we're going to do the same thing that we did with all of the uh, the other subclass episodes that we've done. 
We are going to go over them in the order that they were released. Uh, and so we're going to start with our player handbook uh, uh, subclasses. And the first one in the player's handbook, as Mr. Miller called it, the fighter's fighter, we have the champion. Luanico, why don't you get started? Yeah, uh, correct. I definitely feel the champion is the fighter's champion. I was doing a little research prior to the episode, and I noticed or read that this was the subclass that is listed as one of the best subclasses to give a brand new player to the game to start with. And they're not wrong. This subclass is fantastic. It has great things that happen with it. It does great things, but they're very simple things. It doesn't confuse you with lots of options. It doesn't confuse you with lots of action economy choices and questions. It basically hits hard. And as you go up in levels, it hits often. And then when it hits hard, it really, really, really hits hard. The interesting thing about this, I'm not a new player. I think this is one of those subclasses that ranks higher based on your length of time in the game, based on, you know, some personal choices in general, but also based on the level of complexity you want out of this game. So I love tactical choices. I love making those decisions. So as I rank this in comparison with the other subclasses, it really fell down because of that but I don't want anybody to think its rank has anything to do with the fact that it's not a good subclass. It's a fantastic subclass. It's just a matter of it's not the kind of thing I am playing these days. And I think that's kind of my, my take on it. How about you, Glenn? I get that. I definitely get what you're saying. And I do agree, but you know, I can also really get behind the old classic, you know, the trope and the champion is kind of that, the, the trope you called him the fighters fighter. I called him the beefcake fighter um, because he's the fight. The, it's the fighter designed around physical stats. You know, it's not about strategy. You know, it's, it's a pure physical specimen and that goes into the, the subclass too, with some of the skills they get for athletics and things like that. And it is a lot more simple than some of the complex classes, but I'm going to continue to throw out there that the more we complex the Kate, <laughs> I like that word. Complexicate? Yes. Complexicate. I decided to go with it. It's a made up word, but I love it. The, the more we complexicate the individual pieces of the classes, the subclasses, almost making their own unique things, the more of a burden you're putting on, we're, we're putting on me as a storyteller to know and understand a vast and complex rule set which is one of the th reasons why they down they scaled back. So sometimes I worry they go a little far with the, with the complete reimaginings, though they're fun. But this one is a basic setup. It you're, You hit it right on the head. It's short, it's simple, but it is balanced and accurate. It doesn't give you a gazillion abilities, but by the time, you know, you're getting two attacks where you're critting on 19s and 20s, and later you crit on 18s as well, plus a second fighting style, I mean... The champion is solid. Admittedly, a lot of the flavor that he's going to have is going to be what I bring to him, you know, the way I choose to play him, the quirks that I give him. But to me, when I play a fighter, that's always the way it goes anyway. It's all about, you know, how is this one going to be different? Um, but the champion's fun. I could play one. I could have a great time, but I rated it kind of across the middle of the board because of that. It has all the basics, but it just doesn't, doesn't really, you know, push my buttons quite as well as I'd like it to. Yeah, no, uh, Glenn, I, I am I am totally with you, and I ranked the champion a lot lower than you did. Its mechanics are 
are really solid for the most part. I, I thought that the the mid ability uh, where you can add half of your proficiency bonus to strength and dexterity and con checks, I thought that that was weaker compared to the bonus that rogues get at similar level for the same kind of proficiency checks. Um, so, you know, and, and again, that goes to the difference between what a fighter is going to be and what a rogue is going to be. A, a rogue is going to be that check skill master and that that's what they're designed to be and so i i didn't take off too many points for that i I thought mechanically this is very sound i thought that the superior critical uh particular that you talked about critting on 18s 19s and 20s is is that's potentially game changing like that's huge that's when you when you're dropping a critical 15 percent of your attack rolls that's insane um but you're right if i as a player don't have any flavor hooks to to latch onto. If it's all about how I'm going to role play, then we should not be grading flavor because, like, that's of course every character that I play is going to be role played fantastic. But it's got no flavor. It's it's it is a very it is it is really really generic. I don't think there's any way to make it better, and I don't think it's bad. I actually started uh, with the ranking with five with uh, fives across the board with a great uptick for what I play it again, because the answer is I absolutely would play it again. I know there's going to be a time where that's the character I'm going to play. I have no problem playing it. But what I did was as I ranked each one in order that the books came in, because that's how I did my rankings. I then said, do I like it better or worse than, than something else? And when I got done doing it that way, as opposed to picking a number and calling it, that ended up where it ended up. And so it came out a little lower because there's just things, there are things mechanically that I liked more than this. There are more that I liked by flavor. Notice it was not the lowest in anything. So it definitely has flavor, but if you're coming in around five out of 10, it may not quite be weak sauce, but it's kind of bland sauce. So I, th- I think we can we can move past champion and agree that it's 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 very much kind of your average fighter. And that is very that's very on point, I think, for the player's handbook. The first subclass that they put out in all of these classes that we have seen so far has been that very much middle of the road tropey character for that class. We saw it with Sorcerer, we saw it with Ranger, we saw it with Rogue, we're seeing it again for Fighter. That The first one that they trot out there is kind of the, if you're playing a capital F Fighter, here it is, and it's the champion, right? So the next one was the Battlemaster. The Battlemaster, I thought, the more that I uncovered the Battlemaster, the more I thought the Battlemaster sounded really fun to play. And mechanically, the Battlemaster is so strong because of the maneuvers that you can take to go ahead and flesh out the diversity that the, you want to bring to the table as a fighter. And that's really, you know, when you read the description of what the fighter is all about, it is all about being a well-rounded military specialist. And that's the Battlemaster with the with the sheer number of possibilities. There are, there are what, like 20 maneuvers now that you can go ahead and pick from and you get to pick them throughout levels as a Battlemaster. Uh, mechanically, so super strong. And on top of that, there are even feats that will grant you more maneuvers so you can get beyond that. Oh my God, maneuvers. I love them. So feats definitely factor really heavily into any fighter build because last I checked again, I think that fighters get something like 17 or 18 feats by first level, something stupid like that, right? And they are far and away the class that gets the most number of feats, right? By an order of magnitude. 
I think that again, it kind of like we were talking about how how if it's middle of the road, like if I have to role play it, you can't count that towards flavor. We have to leave feats out of the equation when we're talking about fighters, even though feats are really going to factor into your fighter build. It's a very important part of the build, but it's not a part of the subclass. And so that's I I was very cautious to make sure that I wasn't looking at mechanics and saying, well, if I paired this with X feat, look at how strong it'll be. I'm trying to look at the mechanics purely for the subclass. I agree with you. And when we talk about a different subclass, I'm going to I'm going to raise my hand and say I kind of cheated and factored in a feat that you have to take to make this work really well. I will say that. Essentially, I love the Battlemaster. It was the absolute number one far and away favorite subclass I wanted to play of any class when I first picked up 5e. I saw it and wanted it. I didn't play it as my first character because it wasn't what was needed for that party, but it was in the back of my head to hold on to it for the right game because I wanted a game where tactics mattered. I wanted a game where I could be as tactically sound and intelligent as my tabletop gaming skills have led me to after all these years. And I wanted the right character lineage to back up what I was doing. I play a Warforged Battlemaster in a game that it is amazing. But, and this is a big but, it is exceptionally complex at times. It is very difficult to manage the number of attacks, the number of which maneuvers are bonus actions, which maneuvers are reactions, making sure you you when you're picking your choices, you don't have too many of one type or the other because then you never end up using them, making sure they're effective. Some add damage, some add to attack, some don't add to either. So you need to make sure you're doing the right things. There's a level of complexity that comes with this that puts it on par with some of the toughest spellcasters to play and some of the craziest rogues to play. And that level of complexity is not lost on me. I love that level of complexity. It makes me work harder to get the character right and to play it right. Uh, what I had to do is basically do a cheat sheet and have and build up tactical scenarios so I have a good idea of where to start from and then what my resources are to branch off from. That's how I did it. But Oh, this this subclass is brilliant. I think that really underscores the point that Glenn brought up earlier. So Glenn, why don't you continue with that? So yeah, I think the Battlemaster is really cool. I really like the ideas behind it. I love that it adds the the maneuvers, the moves of a trained master of combat, you know, a trained tactician. Um, I really like all of the concepts behind the way that it's written, but it's too complex. This is a perfect example of exactly what I'm talking about. It becomes so complex that even an experienced role player, one of the people that I've been role playing with since I was 11 years old, has trouble following it when he would be playing the class. That's saying something about the level of complexity, especially when you look at, and I really didn't realize this till later when I was looking at some of the other subclasses and then doing some reading on my own, the, the way the superiority dice work, in my opinion, is a little bit broken. It's too far reaching. It's too far spreading for the size of dice that it is. You're, have, you're talking about starting out at a D8 that can be applied to hit damage or skill. All right, a D8 to damage, that's not that big a deal. But to hit, it's pretty solid. Or to a skill check, that's pretty big. Most classes who have any kind of an ability that adds a bonus onto your a chance to hit or succeed in a skill, it's only a D4. Not a D8, let alone becoming a D10 and a D12 later. I really dig where they were trying to go with the Battlemaster, but I think they went 
too far, getting caught up in their own coolness, kind of like I really did when I was trying to design that battle bow thing that I'm still working on. You get caught up in the coolness and you're like, yeah, it's awesome. But it's it's too much and it's overbalanced, in my opinion. I hear your point, and I will offer this as a, as a counterpoint. The thing you need to understand about the Battlemaster and the size of those dice that you're starting with. When you're in that first tier of combat, you don't get that many of them. And while they replenish on a short rest, unless you're then taking a feat, which is a hell of a resource to get a couple more dice. And by the way, that would be locked in at a smaller size no matter what. So you're talking about a D6 anyway. Mm -hmm. You're talking about a thing you can do two times, eventually three times, and then maybe four times by the time you're into tier two. I realize this because my Battlemaster is now level 10. Per long rest or short rest? Per short rest. Okay. So Continue, but I have a so counter. <laughs> while I may have a fair amount of, of, of dice, I only get, a, get to use them a certain amount of times. Once you take factor in the fact that even at that larger size, you're only using them two or three times in, in the early, earlier levels, you add to the fact that there are only a very specific few choices that add to your to hit. There's only a very few specific maneuvers that adds to other things. Most of them just add to damage. Uh, and I think that was a conscious choice. So while you may have that one thing that adds to your to hit, you're really going to shoot that shot once. And for a fighter that gets multiple attacks within or right at the end of tier one, and if you're attacking twice, I have never been in a situation where I didn't use all of my, uh, of my uh, dice before the before the short rest like any fight that goes beyond five rounds and i'm pretty much out of dice or i'm saving them for the nova strike so in the end if you're in a single fight and you need to burn all five if that's all you have all three if that's all you have all two that's all you have i think that's what the game's trying to tell us with the short rest and honestly i agree i will still say though that if you're taking a die the size of a d8 and you're applying it both to a skill check and a damage check it, it's it's almost like two different currencies. It's like saying that you're going to give somebody X amount of apples, whether they need to roll for apples or oranges. Damage and to hit is a totally different metric. It's a totally different set of set of math. And to affect it by up to a D12, I don't know, man. I think that they go too far. Look at the side dice we're going to talk about in a little bit. They're going to stay where they should be. They don't go all over the place. I... I I'm going to I'm going to differ there and we're going to get to that but they stay more where they should be in my opinion. The next one that we have I think is probably the first of the subclasses where the three of us had some some pretty significant disagreement and that's the Eldritch Knight. And I will tell you where I disagreed and and the reason when I first ranked the Eldritch Knight I actually ranked it higher. Um and I am going to shout out to uh, to friend of the show Art, who played a Eldritch Knight in a campaign that I'm playing in. Um, it was after this last game session um, when I said that, you know, we're going to go ahead and record Fighter soon. We're going to be talking about it. I was really paying attention to how he was playing it because the, the Eldritch Knight, the character that he's playing is probably a level 12 Dragonborn Eldritch Knight, right? And I was watching the way that he played it. And I was watching kind of how he went through it. And I was like, man, you know, it just... It just seems like it is always so close to doing something cool, but never actually being able to fully realize it. And he's like, nope, I absolutely agree with you. He's like, the 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 thing that is so 
cool about the Eldritch Knight and gives it so much flavor, which is why I rated it so high in flavor. It is that great battle mage type fighter, right? Where it's got spellcasting ability and especially as a dragonborn, he's also got some special abilities there, but as also hits like a tank. But the big thing, the weapon bond that it has, that was honestly, there's a big flaw in the weapon bond. And the weapon bond is that uh, it, it, com- it comes down to action economy because the weapon bond you can so he was playing with a javelin and so he would throw the javelin and then use weapon bond to go ahead and pull it back right fantastic great use of the power because then and then you know he could go ahead and use his second and subsequent attacks the problem is that weapon bond is a bonus action and you only get one of those you even when you get multiple attacks you only get one ability to wet to wet to pull back your weapon using weapon bond it puts this it puts a limiter on the amount of effectiveness on all the rest of the eldritch knight's powers because so many of them are bonus actions you can only do one around so even though it's got these great powers it's got these great abilities it's got these great uh, it's got this great ability to affect certain things you can only do them certain time another classic example I, and again we talk a lot about the about the powers and where they are and how they how they're limited to everything but look at its upper level power its upper level power is basically is basically misty step right you get the ability to go ahead and move 30 feet unhindered without any problems but you can only do it on your action search you can't use it as you can't do it as an action you can't do, even do it as a bonus action you can only do it in your action search it's the same drum that we have beat numerous times throughout these episodes talking about subclasses. There's an odd limitation on a high-level power that makes it less useful. And we see that over and over again as we start to get into these subclasses that I guess they're putting these limitations in for game balance, but the way that these limitations are applied sometimes seems a little strange to me. I hear what you're saying, and I think I'm probably even though i think i might have ended up rating it slightly higher than you what i see the eldritch knight has going for it is i simply want to try it to see if i can figure a way to do what all of my research says can't be done which is make it work flavor flavor my desire to play it absolutely it's huge love it yeah mechanically i just don't know that it's there yeah, and it kind of dropped for me because of that. Look, this is the thing that we all come to the game and say, oh, look at that, fighter magic. How many shows do we watch where that is a thing? I truly like this. Interestingly, at all the 5e tables I've run and all the games I've been a part of, I've never been in a game where this character subclass was played. I hear people talk about it all the time, but I've never sat at a table where this was played. For as many games as I've been to, as many games as I've sat at as a player and as many games as I've run, including convention style games where people just bring in characters. And I have put a couple of these up as pre-gen so people could select them. It has never been played. It always left me to wonder why there's got to be something about that. I think some of its abilities are cool, but it's just got to be hard to build. Look, you've got divided priorities, strength, decks, con intelligence. How do you pick? I mean, it's like, what do you do if you're doing point by or or if you're doing anything other than rolling to generate your character and you don't roll well or, or, or you don't roll well, you can't build this so it'll work. You can't get the stats to make this work. Well, if you remember back in the day, multi-classing had 
stat requirements. And it was difficult to roll stats good enough to multi-class a fighter mage. It absolutely was. And I get that as they bring in 5e and they say you should be able to play anything. It strikes me that they made this one so difficult to build well. And like you said, the higher level features, Arcane Charge is kind of impressive, but uh, at the end, the War Magic feature, I, I, I guess, I think the things just happen out of order or too late, aren't enough. I'm not sure what the mix is. It just doesn't quite get it in those regards, and it, I kind of marked it down for that. It's still ranked fairly highly, but that's because... I love the flavor of this character subclass and I really want to play one to give it a go, but I can't justify it being higher than it showed up. Well, so, so do I, I have it ranked very high. I, as I'm listening to y'all, I'm realizing that mechanically you're right. I hadn't really thought about the action economy and how limited it is. It doesn't change my enthusiasm on most of my other scores, however, uh, because I think it's full of flavor. I think the fighter mage back in the day when everybody was trying to build one and make it be kind of cool and successful was awesome then, too. I mean, in second edition, when you got it multi-classed off right, it could be really cool. He would never be the star of the show. And I don't think the Eldritch Knight will be either. Um, but that's something that when I set up a, a class and maybe maybe that's a difference for me. Um, when I'm looking at a class or a role that I'm thinking about playing, I'm not always thinking of myself as Buffy. Sometimes I'm designing Xander, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Because Xander was freaking hysterical, and he kicks ass. Well, all right, he doesn't kick ass well, but he tries. He kicks ass in the RP section of the pillar of the game. Right. When I look at the Eldritch Knight, it's listed under the fighter, but I kind of consider it a hybrid when I'm imagining the class that I'm playing. And I'm not going to expect to hit as hard as the fighter or cast spells as well as the mage. And I am a little bit more intimidated by the limited action economy now that I've realized, since you presented it, Josh, very well done. Thank you. Um, and I'll put some thought into it, uh, that if I design my character well, I think I can still work with that. Because the bond is a cool thing, but it really is the weapon bond and the summoning them back to your hand. It's a wicked, wicked cool flavor aspect to show that magic merging with the martial. Right. To show your arcane ability bonding with your weapons. It's the Thor ability, right? The right. You throw the hammer, the hammer does its damage, and then you pull it right. back to the hand and you strike a pose. You know, and the one I want to play is an Eldritch Knight that dual wields with the proper feats and fighting style battle axes that I talk a game master into letting me have specially made balanced for throwing with a shorter range because of their weight. And he wouldn't throw them all the time. So the summon back to your hand would only be occasionally. Right. You're fighting melee, but you drop the last guy. That guy's 20 yards away. You throw it then so that my bonus action will still be free for other things. But basically, that made me realize I need to plan the character some more, but it didn't actually take away my enthusiasm. So I ranked it as high as I did because I got so caught up in the imagery and the flavor that could be the Eldritch Knight, the fighter mage, like blended into one blurring tornado of magic and steel. Yeah, that was lame, but whatever. I think that could be really <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, so for me, Glenn, I'm right with you on that. Look, I ranked it 10 for flavor. That is my number one flavored subclass out of the fighters. I put it right at the top for flavor. That's how much I respect and love this subclass. And as far as my ability and willingness to play it, I went with seven. And the reason why I went that low on that score is my opportunities to play it would be limited. One, I'm a storyteller. I don't play as often as I'd like. Right. Two, how often does the fighter role or the magic role not get taken in a party? If I'm playing at a small table, one or the other is guaranteed to be taken. 
So if there's only three roles, my chance to play one of those two or a hybrid of those two is exceptionally limited. If I'm playing at a larger table, I still have to make sure some other things are taken care of before I can jump into that utility backup on either end kind of role. And then at that point, it's what level am I playing at? When does this character subclasses abilities come online and become cool? If I'm playing way below that, especially since most of the time I'm playing, it's going to be one shots or smaller, smaller term, not necessarily an ongoing game where I get to build the character for a length. I'm kind of saving it for when I get to play it at the right level. And then I'm going to play it and I'm going to love the heck out of it. All right. So Lee Wanika, I'm going to throw out a really difficult question and you've got 15 seconds to answer, right? You ready? Yeah. Ready? Yeah. I'm giving you two character sheets. One's an Eldritch Knight. One's a Soul Knife. Which one do you pick? Soul Knife. Yeah. That's my point. It's exactly my point. Every time. Absolutely. Right. I don't even think that there's really much of a discussion. Okay. Let's carry on here. So I am going to get next to the subclass that I was honestly most surprised by when I was looking through these. And I think the wildly different, I guess actually they're not that wildly different, are they? Uh, uh, yeah, mine is wildly yeah, different wildly than different. yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, uh, like, like, we're throwing down on this guys, one. Yeah, both of you guys ranked it lower than four. This was my highest ranked subclass. And this was what was originally known as the Banneret and eventually became known as the Purple Dragon Knight. Uh, that originally appeared in Sword Coast. Let me, you guys start. I think the Banneret slash Purple Dragon Knight has some interesting stuff going for it. I'm going to, I'm going to say though, that my overall thing, because they're going to go far, the other two guys are going to go far more into the specifics of how the subclass works and the, uh, the action economy and the way the actual abilities break down. But for me, for the Banneret, what it really came down to is that I felt the Cavalier was lackluster. And I think what the Cavalier is missing is the Banneret. I think that the Cavalier class and the Banneret class should be combined with maybe another option oh. to represent the concept of an order of knights and then different specialties, whether or not you go mounted combat for the Cavalier leadership role for the banneret or perhaps some form of a foot soldier you know what i'm saying i think that would be a better way to go with this subclass and that's why i don't like it i think it's a piece of a subclass that they forgot to throw on another one that they're putting out second and i think that honestly my biggest beef with subclasses is they're coming out because they're getting so much cooler is i think they need to get over their fear of rewriting the php subclasses because it's evident not just in our review, but multiple other reviews and the way that they're releasing their own content that they feel they were lackluster in a lot of cases and they're trying to make them stronger. So let's just rewrite them, guys. Let's just accept it. Put them out, put it out as a free rule update for anybody who wants it. Yep. And let's rewrite it and let's make the banneret and the cavalier and another option something that you could build an order of knights around. That's that's my take. Yeah, so I'm going to jump on the bandwagon with with Glenn as far as that, but I'm going to give you a little back history on the Purple Dragon Knight and the Banneret. In order that things came out, Sword Coast came out before Xanathar's and the Cavalier. So what you see in the Cavalier isn't just something that should be combined with the, the Banneret. It was Wizard's attempt to redo the Banneret. They basically said, we're not fixing this one. Hey, Here's the baby. There's the bathwater. And we made, and then made the Cavalier. Fair. I was putting the cart before the horse in my original analogy, but yeah. So all of my points are still the same. Absolutely. Uh, And you're right. I thought the Banneret was one that had flavor. And I will add to this. 
I love the Forgotten Realms reading it. Playing in it, slightly different. I'm not the best. That's not my favorite world to play in. I like Homebrew Worlds for a reason. But the part of the Forgotten Realms I love the most is Cormir. It is where the purple knight or the purple dragons are. Right. I have actually played characters who were offshoots of that particular army. They were squires too or adjuncts too. And I love that concept of that chivalric knight. And I felt that that's what I really wanted. What I found, however, was that there was not nearly enough within this subclass to support what they have in writing. It was a very poor, poor representation of the years of writing of this character type. I think the Cavalier does it better. If they put the purple dragon name, took it off of Banneret and put it on the Cavalier, I would like that class, that subclass, much better. That's very interesting. I think purple dragon should be removed completely. I object to naming a class or a subclass based on a specific order from the Forgotten Realms, specifically because... It's a class, not an order of knights. Yeah. The class should be for a knight. Yep. I, and, and I would agree with that assessment. I think the issue was they were trying to do something that was specifically for the Sword Coast. This is what they were doing at the time. I think their original thought was put out a book in different areas and have different stuff for different areas. And then they realized that most of what they had in that book, as far as that was falling flat. Right. So they repaired, took out what they could, put it in Xanathar's, and started with a whole new concept. I really do think that Wizards, and I don't have any connections there, I don't know this for a fact, I have heard similar commentary from other podcasters other er, uh, and YouTube posters that they really changed course after Skag and switched things up as far as what they were moving forward with. And I think it's evident by what has come out of Skag what has been reprinted, and what has not. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and sing the praises of the Banneret because both of you are wrong. I think that this is mechanically and flavorfully probably the strongest subclass in the fighter class. And it's because from the moment that I started reading its description, from the moment that I started looking through its powers, from the moment that I started looking through its thing, through what it looks like, all that came to mind was one of my absolute favorite characters from Game of Thrones, and that was Sir Barristan Selmy. Probably one of the great, was uh, uh, described by, by Jorah Mormont as the greatest sword fighter in all of Westeros, but also from his mere presence on the field benefited everybody else around him. And if you look through the powers, you, Glenn, you nailed it. I'm going to go ahead and hammer on the, on the mechanics of this character because the mechanics are super strong. The mechanics are all about how can a fighter who does things that fighters do, like second wind, like action surge, like persuasion, how does it take everything that it does and apply it to everybody else around him? I mean, at third level, he gets the ability to go ahead and give second wind to three allies within 60 feet of him. Mm -hmm. Second wind is a D10 worth of hit points per long rest. Right, no, I dig it. that, That you can use as a react, you can do that as a reaction. At third level, 10 hit points. Th- think about your third level wizard and how many hit points they may or may not have at third level. They might only have 15 hit points. Being able to roll a d10 to reclaim them as a wizard keeps that wizard standing up for probably three or four more rounds. Like, And that's the power that the Banneret brings right from the very beginning. 
So, Josh, let me step in here because I think I'm going to have counterpoints along the way. So I want to kind of hit them where you where you where where you put them. And I apologize if this comes across confrontational, but we are talking fighters, are we not? The issue I have with that is I think second wind doesn't scale well anyway. The issue is not but it's a third level power. I don't care if it doesn't scale if it's a third level power. Right, but the that but for a class, I, I think the problem with this subclass is it peters out. Like, I wouldn't play this beyond a certain point. And I think it's a decent power to good at the earlier levels, but I think its ability to scale is done by the time you're out of by the time you're at the back end of second tier. I totally disagree. I mean, think about what, what the Banneret gets at level 18. So if you think it peters out, let's look at his highest, highest level ability, right? So it gets the ability to go ahead and grant Indomitable to other allies. So not only does it does the, does the Banneret have Indomitable, which is basically an automatic reroll on any saving throw, you can then allow anybody else within 60 feet of you to reroll any saving throw just by the right. fact you're there. And here's, So aside from getting a one... How many saving throws do third tier and fourth tier characters actually fail? Saving throws? Tons. Tons. Because you're getting, so, you, so you've, you've got your skill mod, you've got your skill mod, not, you've got your uh, your ability modifier plus your proficiency bonus. Proficiency bonus at, at level 18 is what, seven? And so, and if you're playing, again, if you're playing a wizard or, okay, let's say that you are playing, let's say that you are playing a rogue who has to make a constitution save. What's the constitution for that rogue going to be? 12? Maybe? Maybe 10? So you're talking about a constitution saving throw that's at 7? You're failing that constitution saving throw. Uh, if it, it, So, you know, you're, at, you're adding 7. What's your tier 3, tier 4 uh, saving throw is going to be? Uh, your difficulty on those is going to be 15 to 18, depending on, you know, depending on what it is that you're fighting at, in 4th tier. So that means that you're failing that check more than 50% of the time as a rogue. We have said before that the biggest, the, the number one game changer to any ability is the ability to roll more dice to succeed. That's what this power does. Okay, I will concede that if you're picking, if you have a save that is opposite from what a particular class has, that is useful. But what you're illustrating is the fact that that ability at that level is useful if you have this character next to specific other characters who have specific failings versus a common or slightly uncommon event. Yeah, I mean, I don't care about the saving throws I'm going to pass all the time. I care about the saving throws I'm going to fail all the time. I want the ability to roll more dice to not right. fail them. So for me, and, and while I agree with that point, this is a calculation I make when I'm looking at mechanics. How often is it going to be useful? So the question isn't, am I covering that potential loss? But the question is, how often does that loss come up so I need this ability? If it happens once in a game, was that a useful use of that power? Or was it worth the choices I gave up to get that power? So the frequency that the situation comes up in is part of my calculation when it comes to mechanics. I don't think that scenario comes up as frequently as you might think in the later level. See, I think that staying too focused on calculating is part of the yeah. issue. Because if you want to play a baronet and you're loving your command of the battlefield and you feel that you're getting your game's worth out of your abilities, go for it. Have a blast with it. Have fun. 
Every class doesn't have to balance out to every other subclass evenly. They're never going to. That's something we'll be battling on forever. Yeah, true. All right. Man, we've got to move on, but that's okay. I'm going to go ahead and call you out a little bit on this. Which power, I'm going to do this again. You ready? Which power would you prefer? Would you prefer the power to grant any other character within 60 feet of you a bonus, an extra roll on a failed saving throw? Or would you prefer to gain a superiority dice when you roll initiative? I, I prefer to go with the superiority die and get that initiative bonus. Because if I go first, I get the okay. Nova Strike. I get my, my number of attacks for that level. I get to double that, my bonus action, which will likely add to that damage. Mm-hmm. And when that is all said and done and I'm done with that Nova Strike, chances are I'm probably in a better position than getting the save. I actually end the fight before the other action can take care can be taken to create the yep. need for the save. A 15th level battlemaster has five superiority yep. dice and they don't and they don't gain that other superiority dice until they roll initiative again after they've used yep. those five. So, are you taking a short rest or are you using your 15th level power to regain that superiority dice? I will probably take use my power to get the uh to to get that other one. Mm, really? I thought you said before that we would rest. Uh, no, what I said is that's the calculation. You have to look at the situation as far as which you do. <laughs> okay. All right. We're just going to have to agree or disagree on this because I, I think I think that if you're talking about a power that's never going to come up, that power is never going to come up. Oh, I think that power will come up often. I'm waiting for it right now because I just, uh, the last battle we were in, I sped out. Fair enough. <laughs> That will come up often because players don't like to rest and DMs don't like to leave time to rest. So that is a true story, but based on the current way the game is being played, but I still present perhaps to be discussed in a future episode that the game needs to start to shift. Maybe. All right. Uh, So let's, uh, let's, let's move on. I I hope that that, uh, that little bit of contention was as enjoyable for everybody listening as it was for us, because uh, you know, Likely, likely when you can said, we're talking fighters. These are going to get a, l- a little hairy. Let's go into a class that uh, that all of us agreed with a little bit more, uh, a little bit more on, uh, but also very much kind of put it into the the middle of the pack uh, among the fighter subclasses. Um, and this is our first subclass from Xanathar's uh, the the Arcane Archer, another magic wielding subclass, um, very elvish in flavor. Uh, I liked the diversity of the of the specialty maneuvers. I thought it was very similar mechanically to the Battlemaster, the way that it was built, um, and it, it came up with some with some neat things, um, you know. But again, I placed it uh, a little bit higher than middle of the road, but still still pretty, uh, still very playable, still a, a decent amount of flavor, solid mechanics, but nothing nothing super uh, like glowingly special about it. I rated it as low as I did because I still, I I have to give it, the Arcane Archer used to be like a thing, man. Everybody wanted their GM to let them play the Arcane Archer. It was a prestige class of doom. It was badass. And this is not. So (laughs) the problem is, and the biggest problem with the Arcane Archer is two uses, two uses of the Arcane Shot ability per short rest ever, no matter how big they get. That's way too limiting, way too limiting. I mean, other people get, uh, other classes are getting, I'm, even if you go with someone else that does something similar, look at Warlock spells. They don't get very many, right? They start out with like what? One? Yeah. They get up to like four? Fine. So, you know, at seventh level or eighth level, 
throw him another shot for the love of God. And then this class could be a little bit more of a competitor, in my opinion. That's its only holdup. Aside from that, it's cool. But I do also want to say, how come elves got to get their special taken away so that the arcane archer can now be anybody, but the berserker can still only be a dwarf? What's up with that? Yeah. The only thing that I will say uh, about the the limitation on the, the spell for the arcane archer, I absolutely agree with you. The more that we're doing these, the more I'm kind of learning about, you know, if if this were if this wasn't Dungeons and Dragons, if it was Josh and Lewanika and Glenn, I think we would do things differently. No, I already plan on homebrewing it. My son's playing one and I'm going to add shots. Yeah, well, one of the things that I think I would do is that in general, instead of putting hard caps on things, I would think any bonus related to some, to a, the number of a thing is tied to your proficiency bonus so that it increases as you level. And because the proficiency bonus already scales with your level every, you know, and, and that way. So not only does it kind of give this this good scaling, but it also removes some of the inconsistency because some of the things are tied to your proficiency bonus and some of them are not. Some of them are half of your proficiency bonus and some of them are like a set number like the Arcane Archers. And so I'm totally with you on that one. I think that that definitely needs to change. Uh, as I look at the Arcane Archer, uh, th- there are about three or four different ways to build an archer who's throwing magic. While it will not do exactly what these arrows do, it gets close enough where that would be good enough and you're going to do more than this one would do. Uh, if I could somehow figure out a mechanism to mix it with the Ranger and the Hordebreaker feature, that would be the only way this really knocks itself out of the park. And then that requires a dual class, and I'm not even 100% sure those two features could work together. That would be, that. that's kind of my, like, I'm not sure how to make this work other than doing things like you're talking about with scaling and making fixes. When we go into how to fix a subclass, this is what I think we're going to do, because I think we all agree that we love what it's supposed to be, but it falls flat of wanting to play it for the most part because of those failings. Two shots is not enough. When they were taking its super cool complexity from its previous incarnation and boiling it down to, you know, 5e simplicity, they left it on the back burner for too long and boiled it away to nothing. For my money, if you really want to do it, you take the spell True Strike. Except that's an action And you make it a... Right, listen. You take the spell True Strike, you make it a feature that they get to use as many times as they have a proficiency bonus oh, and, and then you stick it as their third level ability. And now I'm playing this class every day because that, th- yep. that'll, that alone, All right. now you're putting your magic on every shot, no matter what it is. You just happen to have two more that are extra special. You have that and that scaling and this is out of the park. All right. So preview for the episode that we're going, or the, the, uh, the module that we're going to put out about how to fix your fighters uh, uh, when we start talking about how to some tweaks that you can make to these subclasses to make them uh, to make them a little bit more balanced, but I think that that's a fantastic idea. I think that True Strike is one of those things that uh, in <laughs> True Strike really used to be so much better, and it's just not anymore. And we all yeah, just wish that it was too. better. Yeah, it really did. I'm seriously considering a table rule where it's a bon- it's casting time as a bonus action because that's bonus the only act. way the spell would ever be useful again. Yep. Why? While we try to stay to five minutes apiece, we are woefully over that for all of the subclasses that we have already talked about. So uh, this is going to be a two-part episode. We're going to stop here for now. We have already gone through four of the uh, what, one, two. We should get one three, more in. We four. should do five. We've done, we've done five. We've done five. 
Champion, Battlemaster, Eldritch Knight, the Banneret, and the Arcane Archer. We've done the first five, and in those first five, when we publish the uh, uh, the ratings, you're going to notice we've already talked about the second and third place ranked subclass already. So number one is still out there. We haven't got to it yet. L- any any last words on these first five subclasses uh, before we close for tonight? I think that uh, we went back and forth, of the three of us, uh, though mostly Josh and me on one of them, uh, uh, quite a bit. But I think that really showcases our love for the fighter class and our love for this game. These are little picayune, white room, theory crafting kind of uh, arguments. They're quibbles. quibbles. They are not uh, <laughs> huge problems at the game table. The things we like to play, we like to play. We play them at the tables. And, and like I said, about the one that I, uh, out of all of these, I ranked the lowest. I still want to play it. A- and I want to play it more than some of the other ones. Just because I'm evalu- we are all evaluating our take on the mechanics and how they work at the table that's our play style with these mechanics, or that is the average play style with these mechanics. That has nothing to do with whether or not this works. If you're role-playing a character, role-play that character. The mechanics, they're going to follow. They're going to do what they're going to do, but you'll still have fun playing any of these characters, all of these character subclasses. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, I could walk up to a table and be handed a pre-gen of any of these classes we've just discussed and have an amazing time playing it. All of them are worth playing. They're a good time. Whether or not they're the ones that are specifically speaking to my imagination right now, on the other hand, are different. But wait six months and I might be eyeballing that champion going, oh, the beefcake fighter could be fun. I'll play the stereotypical trope, but then I'll twist it. You know, so it's all about what you do at the table. Um, You pick what you're feeling, what your imagination is connecting you to. Don't min-max your character and try to just make the guy who hits the hardest. You know, work on work on your character's story and make him cool. You may not be the guy who does the most damage, but make sure that you always look badass doing it, whatever you do. Absolutely. <laughs> yep, absolutely. All right, we will, uh, so we're going to end part one here. We will pick up with part two next week. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you then. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.